This year has reminded us of the importance of saving for the unexpected. And as a bank, our job is to make that a little easier for everyone. That's why at Huntington, we're so proud to introduce Money Scout. It analyzes your checking account to find money that's not being used and moves it to your savings automatically. It's that simple. So you can always be saving, even now. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. Huntington, welcome. Money Scout is subject to eligibility, terms and conditions, and other account agreements. Member FDIC. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Cameras on, you're all watching me eat my apple because I'm on a strict diet, drinking my tiny Coke Zero Guilty Pleasure, uh, also allowed on the diet. Uh, happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy and talk. Thank you for listening to us on radio, on podcast, on stream, or watching us on Twitter's Periscope, LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live, Facebook Live. Any way you listen or watch, uh, we appreciate the uh, support, and I really uh, love having you being a part of the Leslie Marshall family. Now, before we get to what is ripped uh, from the headlines, uh, I just wrote a piece about this for foxnews.com, and and it's going to come out. And uh, I hope you all read it. Uh, And for those of you who don't get to, no, I'm just joking. For those of you who don't get to uh, read it, here's a little bit of, of what I put into that, because Sunday is Mother's Day. And I am a mom. I have a two 13-year-olds in the house right now. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> not easy. Whew, teen years. The toddlers were tough. Terrible twos. Nope, this is getting tougher. They talk back, right? Um, but all that aside, you know, I want to commend the fellow moms, my fellow moms out there today. Now, I know some of you are going to say, because this past year, I mean, it's 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 hard being a mom. It, it's hard being a mom, whether you work inside or outside the home. This past year was very, very difficult on moms. Now, I know some of you are going to say, Leslie, what about the dads? What about the guardians? What about the caretakers? Yes, you all are fantastic. But Sunday is Mother's Day, right? And so this I want to say just to the moms. Everybody can listen. <clears throat> A year ago, March, I had just flown back from New York and D.C. I was flying there twice a month uh, to be on the shows that I have to be on set for in Fox News Channel, like Outnumbered in uh, New York. I also did some stuff at the time uh, with Har- on Harris Faulkner's show, which is now called the Faulkner Focus. I had to be on set America's Newsroom. They used to have me on two panels out of New York, two panels out of L.A., uh, two on set, two remote. And then in D.C., um, I would always do special reports, um, all-star panel uh, in person as well. So I just flown back. Uh, The next day, my kids went to school and I got an email that I had to pick my children up from school and they had to have all their belongings with them, their backpacks, their school supplies, their computers, their lunch boxes, their water bottles, all that stuff. And I remember thinking, quite honestly, "Eh, this will be two weeks, three at the most. I can deal with it. 
everybody's doing it. My boss will be okay. Then I'm not jumping on a plane. This will blow over very quickly. And boy, was I wrong. I mean, we had found out there was a virus called COVID-19, right? And this is why all of a sudden our kids were going to have to go to school at home. Well, let me explain something. And Marky Mark can attest and be my witness uh, that I, uh, technologically, I, I, I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not inclined. I'm technologically phobic. So mommy helping the kids uh, go to class online. And it's not just one thing. I mean, there's Zoom for the class and there's Google Classroom for the assignments. And then there's Jupiter and then there's Membean and then there's Senior something and something else. I mean, there's all these places for these classes. And to, fortunately, my kids and I navigated this. And then in addition to that, you had internet issues. Here in Southern California, we had, we had wildfires. Our power went out. In addition, there were just, you know, internet issues galore because of these fires. I had to have my house rewired. We had to have routers put in so that my kids could use Wi-Fi. And when that out went out, they could hardwire with the ethernet into the wall. And the fact that I can even talk like that, say those things and know what I'm talking about is a bloody miracle because I really didn't before last year. Now, I'm not, you know, taking out, you know, don't take out your violin, you know, be sorry for me. I'm simply saying I know a lot of moms out there like me became IT techs and had to be overnight. And in addition to helping with homework or just reading a bedtime story, you're now teaching a class because you're, on, you're online and being the online home school teacher. And in addition to that, we moms are used to cooking and cleaning. But now you're cooking all the time, breakfast, lunch, dinner, cleaning up, you know, washing the dishes, emptying the dishwasher, refilling it numerous times a day because the kids are eating constantly because there's the temptation, right? When they're in their homeschool, the temptation, not just to take a nap, as somebody told President Biden, the temptation, not just to go on YouTube and Netflix and FaceTime, the temptation to raid the pantry and the fridge repeatedly, the temptation to let go play, let's go play with my dog rather than do my algebra. And constantly making messes. I had breakfast at eight, but hey, why not make waffles at 1030 while mommy's on TV? And then I get out and it's like, what happened to my kitchen? I just cleaned it. And I know you moms out there and others, but moms uh, can really empathize with me because you went through this too, right? You're, you're, you're cleaning times 10, you're cooking times 10. And then for those of you who had to work as well, this, this, was, a, this was a challenge. We didn't have our babysitters or our nannies or our relatives that helped us or our daycare centers with our work or our daycare centers outside of the work. And speaking of work, some of you lost your work. Some of you had a reduced income or your partner or your spouse uh, or whoever's living with you did. And so now you're doing all of this on a shoestring budget or barely a budget at all. On this Mother's Day, I just want to say, as one mom to another. We did it. We survived. We are warriors. You know, I joke with my kids, you know, what am I made of money? And I said, that's what mom stands for made of money. Well, no, we're not made of money. We're made of miracles. And this past year, mom, you, me and my fellow mother sisters out there, we showed the world the warriors that we truly are. We didn't need armor. We didn't need weapons. We did it with kisses and hugs, kisses on boo-boos, dinners, and stretching that dollar, being teachers and IT techs, being moms 
times 10 or to the 10th power as only we moms know how to do. So I raise my glass, or in this case, my tiny can of Coke Zero. And uh, I tell you all to take a bow. Thumbs up. You deserve it. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And hopefully you never have to go through a year like that again. Happy Mother's Day. Well, let's get to what is ripped from your news here on this news of political program. Uh, the U.S. economy added a mere 266,000 jobs last month. Forecasters had floated gains close to a million, and that makes this the biggest miss relative to expectations, and, and, and not just in a few years, but in decades. Um, it's a major setback for the hopes of a speedy labor market recovery alongside America's great uh, opening. Uh, as you know, Janet Yellen, she said, our recovery is going to take a long time. Uh, job gains in March were revised lower. Uh, this is a big miss that changes how we think about the recovery. That's economist Justin Wolfers. That's what he tweeted. But there is a bright spot because the labor force grew significantly, a counterpoint to the narrative that generous unemployment checks are keeping Americans out of the workforce. We've seen unemployment claims drop. The unemployment rate actually ticked higher to 6.1%. But when you look at the broadest measure of unemployment, that actually fell from 10.7% to 10.4%. It's coming down slowly like the weight on losing on this diet. It's coming off slowly. Now, who liked this report? Markets reacted with elation, pricing in a Fed that continues to press hard on the accelerator for the foreseeable future. So what do we need to watch now? Expect President Biden and his economic team to double down on their argument for that $4 trillion plus infrastructure and social spending package. By the way, um, hunger has plummeted due to those stimulus packages. And we can cut poverty in half. And that's one of the reasons I'm a Democrat, one of many. Anyway, uh, the, uh, they're going to double down on that argument for a $4 trillion plus infrastructure and social spending package, which they say can create jobs in everything, construction, clean energy, uh, the list goes on. Republicans are going to likely argue the proposed tax hikes will kill what's shaping up to be an uneven recovery. But this administration's focus will be getting on the spending plans passed, and they're going to do it one way or another. Bottom line here is, while it's possible that April's jobs report might yet be revised upwards, this number proves that economics is not a science and that America's pandemic recovery, well, it's going to be rocky. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines part one. Back with part two in just a minute, but hang tight. In the meantime, if you don't follow me on Instagram, at Leslie Marshall Talker. On Twitter, at Leslie Marshall. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Leslie Marshall Show. And uh, I am she. We'll take a break. We'll come back more from Rip from the Headlines. And later, from Johns Hopkins Infectious Disease Unit, Dr. Bob Bollinger is in the house. We'll be back right after this. Don't go if you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back. This 
Ashley Marshall, welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk. Let's continue what is ripped from those headlines. Coronavirus infections in the United States are now at their lowest levels in seven months, and that is thanks to the vaccines. Here in California, we have the lowest COVID rate in the United States. We have had over 72 hours of zero cases, and we have the lowest hospitalization rate in the United States. Just pointing that out because we're a blue state with a Democratic governor. We had lockdowns, and, and, and we had kids homeschooled, and we got a lot of crap for it, but we're number one, you know, so recall that, my love. Uh, coronavirus infections like I said, now the lowest levels in seven months. And that is thanks to the vaccines. Um, And also thanks to people willing to wear masks, social distance, and get those vaccines. The rest of you, not so much. The vaccines are turning the tide in America's battle with the coronavirus. Deaths and serious illnesses have dropped significantly. And like I said, here in California, where I am, and now cases, well, they are falling too. And that is an important piece of protection for the future if we can keep it up. Now, by the numbers, the U.S. averaged about 48,000 new cases per day over the past week. That's a 13% improvement over the week before. And it is the first time since October that average daily cases have dipped below 50,000. 20 states saw fewer new cases over the past week than they did the week before. Outbreaks did get bigger in 10 states. New Jersey saw the biggest improvement over the last week, a 40% drop in cases followed by 30% in Connecticut. And I just want to add again, California, lowest hospitalization rate, had three days with zero cases. So why is it happening? Over half of all American adults now have gotten at least one shot of the vaccine. I have them get the second one Monday. I don't want to be sick on Mother's Day. And 41% of adults are fully vaccinated. Now, it took a while for the U.S. vaccination drive to translate into a sustained decline in the number of new cases. The virus is still surging worldwide. We've heard about India. Keep your prayers for them. Uh, It's very, very, very. They're just struggling. They're reaching incredible numbers opposite what we are. Uh, They're just raising and and hitting uh, numbers, breaking through a ceiling of numbers so sadly. And because the virus has already been able to spread so widely, it will likely stay in our lives for years to come. That means we'll probably be getting one or two vaccines a year with COVID. We will probably will be wearing masks into 2022 at some capacity, whether on planes. Um, and there are new in, new variants. And, and by the way, that virus wants to survive. It will continue to mutate. It will continue uh, to evolve. Um, and uh, that means we will have to continue to fight it. Um, studies show that Pfizer is very effective against the current variants of the virus. But again, it will mutate further. There'll be new variants to come. And future variants, they say, may be deadlier. Uh, because remember, hey, look, when I was a kid, right, and, and, and I don't want to age myself here, but if a kid got lice, they used this like shampoo, I think it was called RIT or RID, and you, you put it in your hair. I never had this, but I know this as a mom, right? And, and just growing up, and I knew kids had it. They put it in their hair, you wash it out, you rinse it out, you're done. So my kids, uh, when they were in kindergarten, there was an outbreak of head lice, right? And I'm like, oh, great. So I go to the store. I said to the pharmacist, hey, what, what do I find rid? You know, my kids have head lice. And she goes, they grew uh, immune to that. They, they, they grew their, an immunity. Who's they? The lice. <laughs> you know, the bugs are getting stronger. Yeah. The lice grew an immunity to it. We had to take them to this place. You all know these places like hair angels. And they sit there and seriously, strand, strand by strand, they pull them out with a knife, uh, knife, knife, a comb. <laughs> hey, Stephen King, I'm reading too many of your tweets, your novels, and watching your movies. Um, you know, and they take them out with a cone, comb. Hello. And, um, you know, it, so 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 things change. So, so the, the reason um, that uh, the future variants could be deadlier is because 
uh, viruses, bugs, um, they they grow immune to the things that we use to try to kill them. We saw that with malaria. The, what we were using for malaria in year, years had to be changed because the mosquitoes grew resistant to it. So future variants may be deadlier, more able to evade our existing vaccines. But for now, the vaccines do appear to be highly effective against nearly, nearly every common variant. There's about five variants right now out there. Vaccines are working. That's the bottom line. They're saving lives and beating back the virus right now. And they can minimize the virus's presence in our lives in the future that's only if enough people get them. Let's rip another. I mentioned this earlier, but the percentage of Americans struggling with hunger is now at its lowest level since the, this pandemic began. And what that suggests is the recent flood in aid from our nation's capital and this administration is making a significant difference to families struggling economically. The U.S. Census Bureau released data this week, and it shows the percentage of adults living in households that sometimes or often did not have enough to eat. And can I just say a sidebar? I know we've been through a rough year. But before that, and now, there is not any reason in a nation as wealthy as ours, our poorest person is richer than middle class in a third world nation easily. But there is no reason, none, none, zero, that anyone in this country especially a child, should go to bed hungry. There's no reason. We throw out so much food. How many of you have a subscription to Netflix or pay money for Starbucks? I mean, seriously, okay? I, I'm, I'm sorry to like guilt y'all, shame y'all, but th this is the thing. You need and we need to care about our fellow human, care about our fellow American. There are many programs out there, and I, I strongly suggest whether you give canned goods or write a check, please, there's no reason in the United States of America that anyone should go to bed hungry. And we do have children that go to bed hungry, and that's shameful. And please don't tell me you're pro-life or you're a Christian if you don't do something about this. Anyway, data released by the U.S. Census Bureau this week shows the percentage of adults living in households that sometimes or often did not have enough to eat. Now, that dipped to just over 8% late last month. It was 11% in March. It is a substantial drop, and it came after hundreds of billions in stimulus checks went out. But you know what? We can get rid of that 8%. We can, folks. Money helps. That's what Diane Whitmore Schnazenbach, an economist and director of the Institute for Policy Research at Northwestern University in Chicago, said. said. She said um, they've been tracking hunger rates closely throughout the pandemic. And she says, quote, we're continuing to see signs of progress. That's exciting. That's good news. Now, the rate of American adults and households struggling with food is now down more than 40 percent since its peak in December. That's a fact that Democrats are beginning to tell as proof that hundreds of billions of dollars in direct stimulus is working as intended as they push for more, another massive pass, pa, uh, package, despite growing GOP opposition to more spending. You push money in and it has its benefits. That's one of them. Let's rip another. Representative Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, uh, a Republican in New York, said it pained her to vote against the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. But in the weeks that followed, the first-term Republican issued a news release celebrating the more than $3.7 million from the package that went to community health centers in her district as one of her achievements. She said she prided herself on bringing federal funding to the district and back into the pockets of taxpayers. She's not alone. Every Republican in Congress voted against the sweeping pandemic relief bill the president signed into law three months ago. And since then, 
Republicans from New York to Indiana to Texas, Washington state, well, they're promoting elements of the legislation that they voted against, they fought to defeat. Republicans' favorite provisions represent a tiny sliver of the massive law that sent $1,400 in checks to millions of Americans. And GOP lawmakers, well, they're taking credit for it. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, topping a group of at least eight Republicans who have encouraged constituents to apply in recent days for programs that they voted against. Hypocritical, to say the least. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the head. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Marshall, welcome or welcome back. And we welcome back Dr. Bob Bollinger. Dr. Bollinger is the Raj and Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He holds joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in community public health at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. He is founding director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE, and the center is doing a lot of COVID-19 related work here in the United States and also beyond their website, main.ccghe.net, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash ccghe. Doctor, welcome back. Good to have you with us. Happy Friday. Thank you for joining us. I know you're very busy, so I thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Leslie. Nice to see you again. Well, we've seen a lot of gold. We're seeing some great things. We see words like plummet. I live in California. We have the lowest hospitalization right now in the United States. Uh, you know, our numbers are, 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 you know, down. We're entering different tiers of colors like yellow. And we've had three days in a row with zero COVID cases. Everybody loves seeing that. Everybody loves see- loves hearing uh, that the president's, you know, goals are not just met, but that he surpassed them. Um, but his latest goal, uh, which he has said that 70% of adults receiving one shot by Independence Day, July 4th, um, a lot of people think that this goal is going to be much harder to reach than his previous ones. Would you agree? And if so, why? No, I'd agree. I'd also agree that we make great, great progress, particularly vaccination for the last couple of months. I mean, it's really been remarkable. But, you know, the the last mile is always the hardest. And, um, you know, to get um, those who are hesitant or resistant to vaccination to agree to get vaccinated is going to take a lot of effort. And I think that's, um, boy, it'd be great if we could get there. Uh, tremendous for the country, tremendous for business, tr- tremendous for schools, society. If we can get there, we just need the cooperation and the help of, um, of more people to get the vaccine. What are you hearing, doctor, from a medical perspective? Um, what are people hesitant uh, about uh, with regard to the vaccines? What is the hesitancy? Well, it really it varies. I mean, there's a lots of, um, you know, um, uh, uncertainty in, in, the, in the minds of some folks about, uh, you know, the, the, the rapidity in which we were able to develop these vaccines. So we have to reassure people that they were done rigorously and that these vaccines are safe and highly effective. Um, we leveraged investments in science that we didn't have before to, to really accelerate the, the science, which is one thing that helped us. Um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, we were able to get these vaccines out more quickly. But they're very safe and very effective. So some people are just, uh, I think, um, reluctant uh, because they're scared. Um, we just have to reassure them and answer their questions. Um, others, I think, are just resistant, just to be resistant. Um, 
they, for what, whatever reason, are, are, are you know, that some are hesitant and some are resistant, I think. And that we, we need to work on those that are hesitant to convince them that uh, the vaccines are safe and effective. Uh, also convince people that it's not only beneficial for yourself, it's beneficial for others. It's beneficial for society, for getting schools open, to getting businesses open. Um, so we have to work on the on whatever hesitancy and whatever barriers there are, and there are many. Yeah, my kids are uh, both 13, and they're going to be getting the vaccine in a couple of weeks. Easily enough, it's going to be done at school, so I don't have to fight for an appointment. Um, I've been vaccinated once, and I say that because I'm going for my second vaccine on Monday. But I understand that the second dose, some people feel like they're um, you know, completely inoculated once they've had, uh, you know, the first vaccine. Can you speak to and impress upon people who are listening and watching today how important it is to get that second shot and that second dose and maybe break it down for us as to why what shot one does and shot two does? Yeah, well, it depends. Obviously, you're talking about the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, which are two-shot vaccines. The, the Johnson & Johnson vaccines, a single shot. Uh, for any of the vaccines, you want to get the complete regimen. If it's one shot, you get one shot. If it's two shots, you get two shots because that's how they're designed to work. Um, and, uh, no, you know, no vaccination is 100 uh, percent effective. But my goodness, these are really, really, really highly effective, over 90 percent effective, particularly in preventing severe disease and death. But after you get these in the case of Moderna and Pfizer, after you get the second shot about two weeks afterwards. So you kind of get your first shot, to get your immune system revved up a bit. It gets primed, we call it, and then you get a booster uh, of the second shot. And that's when we really see those antibodies go up uh, after the second shot. And that's associated with protection. The people that uh, there are some people and very, very few, but there are a few that are getting infected after the first shot. Fortunately, most of them are having mild disease, but they can still spread to others. Um, because they're not giving the body enough time to, to mount the immune response. It's going to protect them efficiently uh, and sufficiently. So I think the key is get get the second shot, keep wearing a mask and being uh, distancing until two weeks after that second shot. And then you're in much better shape. You had talked about the, the, after the second shot that that you had just said is really when those antibodies rev up. Is that why it seems that when, uh, you know, like for me, I had, I had zero side effects after the first shot. And to be honest, I think I had sniffles for five seconds, <laughs> but that was it. And, um, you know, a lot some people, you know, whatever. But I, I've heard a lot of people say, whoa, that second dose, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna, really kicked me on my butt. Is that because is that that's, you know, from where you stand seem to be the case if somebody gets sick, it's usually the second shot because it's really increasing or, um, you know, this antibodies are, are really revving up those. Antibodies. I, I'm not sure if we know that completely, Leslie, but certainly there are uh, more side effects the younger you are. Um, we know that I had. You know, I had some side effects from my second shot, but I took a little Tylenol, had a sore arm, a little bit of a headache and a, and a fever. My wife uh, had the Johnson Johnson vaccine, had zero side effects and was disappointed. She wanted to have a, she was hoping she'd have more of a reaction to kind of convince herself that she was oh, having a strong immune perfect. response. So well, actually that leads into my next question, doctor. If somebody has no side effects, does it mean it's not working? Because yeah. people say, you know, people say, well, I got sick, but that means it's working. I mean, is that true? It's working. No, I had that conversation with my wife to reassure her. No, the, the side effects or the lack thereof doesn't mean the vaccine's not working because not everybody has side effects. Most people have very, very mild symptoms or a little sore arm. Uh, so, no, there's no correlation that we know of between the, 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 the significance of the side effects and your immune response. 
it works. This is a really, really good set of vaccines. My job is political and, and in the media, right? Your job is medical. Uh, but sometimes medical and, and political, you know, collide. And in a sense, this has, because when you look at the numbers, um, more blue states have been uh, vaccinated than red states, Democratic states versus Republican. And there are disparities in vaccine vaccine rates, vaccination rates, largely along political lines. As a medical professional, what do you need from the political community to help change that so that more people in red states or more Republicans um, will become vaccinated, even when largely their political leaders uh, have or are being vaccinated? I mean, healthcare decisions, public health decisions should not be politicized at all. It's, it's, we have to stop politicizing things like masks and distancing and vaccination. I mean, it's, it's for the health of all of us, regardless of your political uh, position. And uh, we just have to stop, get away from this idea that public health and, and things like vaccines and, and, and wearing masks and caring for each other uh, by doing, uh, you know, practicing those things is, is somehow political. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I think the um, what we're going to see uh, is that in as we move forward in this pandemic, um, the places and the people that don't get vaccinated, the communities and, and people that don't get vaccinated are going to be the ones that continue to be hospitalized, continue to be affected, and continue to die. The people that get vaccinated uh, we know are much, much less likely to end up sick in the hospital or, or die from COVID. So unfortunately, we're going to see that in places where the where the vaccination rates are lower, there's still going to be transmission. We're going to have, I think, hot spots, maybe even small surges in communities uh, and populations that don't don't have high vaccination rates. And, and it's really unfortunate, regardless of people's political uh, position, those are the communities that are going to, going to be, and the people that are going to suffer, continue to suffer from this. A lot of people out there are getting uh, on planes or getting in cars and seeing loved ones that they haven't seen in over a year, parents, grandparents, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, friends, um, and, you know, and, and hugging, right? You know, hugging is a big thing. For people out there that are not being vaccinated, whether by choice or because they can't, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's not recommended because of a medication that they're on or a health condition. If a person is vaccinated and they are with that individual, should they remain masked? Because I think some people think if you have the vaccine, you can't get COVID, which is not true. Um, and you could also have, uh, you know, no, uh, you know, absolutely no symptoms and, and be carrying that and give that to the individual, correct? So could you tell us what is the right way to go about it now that we're starting to, we're going to take a break and then I'll get your answer on the other side of this. Just be thinking about this. What is the right way to go about interacting with friends or family members that have not been vaccinated when we've been vaccinated? Do we need to mask? You know, what, what is the right way to go about that? Because a lot of people are planning a lot of trips to see a lot of loved ones that they haven't been able to see for over a year. I'm Leslie Marshall. I'm one of them. Go go see my mom uh, this summer. We'll be back uh, with our guest, Dr. Bob Bollinger, and you right after this. Don't go away. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. 
are back with Dr. Bob Bollinger. He is the Raj and Kamala Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins School, University School of Medicine. And he holds joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and Community Public Health at the JH School of Nursing. Founding Director of the Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE. And that center does a lot of COVID-related work here in the U.S., and beyond our borders. Uh, check them out, facebook.com forward slash CCGHE. Follow them there and go to the website for more information, main.ccghe.net. Dr. Bollinger, thank you for holding. Uh, welcome back. Um, I asked you before the break about the best way for people vaccinated, interacting with friends or families who have not been vaccinated uh, to protect that loved one. Right, so um, people that are fully vaccinated, if they're around each other, and I mean fully vaccinated, both shots, wait their two weeks, they can take their masks off when they're around each other, particularly if they're in small groups. But when unvaccinated and vaccinated people mix, they particularly inside, they both need to wear masks, and particularly while community spread is going on. You know, we may reach a point in time, uh, and I hope we do, where enough people get vaccinated that the community rates go way down. And, can, and to a point where everybody can be a little more relaxed. But until that happens, when you're uh, with your around uh, vaccinated and unvaccinated people uh, need to wear masks around each other so you don't you don't spread the infection to others. You know, a lot of people say um, people such as yourself, doctor, that, you know, COVID is going to be with us, you know, for a long time. Uh, when medical professionals say that, um, what do you mean? I mean, do you mean that? I mean, obviously, I know what it means. COVID will be with us for a long time. But does that mean that we are likely to be receiving one or two uh, shots uh, with COVID a year, like people get the flu shot? And will we be wearing masks, you know, into uh, 2022 and perhaps beyond? Well, I think those are two separate questions. Let's talk about the vaccinations. I think it's certainly possible that we're going to we're going to need have need to have boosters, uh, whether it's going to be every year or whether it's going to be the same or, or kind of an updated vaccine like we do with flu. We'll have to wait and see, but we'll fix we'll we'll deal with that. We're going to figure that out, and I, I'm not real concerned about that uh, from a scientific point of view. I'm I'm more concerned not about the booster shots. I'm, I'm more concerned about the people who are refusing or hesitant to get their first vaccine. That's the biggest barrier to the second question, which is when do we get to take masks off? Mm. Um, when we get, we get, uh, or we're going to have to wear masks again, depends on essentially how immune the community is when either new strains get introduced in the, in the future, if that happens, uh, and how well protected we are and how, particularly how many people are, are vaccinated. So it could be that we, we end up in situations for a while where we have seasons where new variants, uh, come into and get circulated around the world. And the you know, the biggest risk is not going to be the people vaccinated. The, the biggest risk is those who don't wear masks in those situations and are unvaccinated because those are the ones that are going to get sick and those are, those are where we'll see the, uh, the outbreaks. So we might have communities or situations where we have to wear masks periodically. We'll have to wait and see. We'll track it. Um, but boy, we could really mitigate that risk right now if we get everybody vaccinated. Now that um, the FDA has said it is okay for 12 and up to get the vaccines, I know that we got an email yesterday and there were different moms talking and there were some moms that were hesitant because they were concerned about side effects. In your professional opinion, um, is it safe for, for 12 year olds? And if that's the case, uh, was it why, why the hesitancy and getting adults vaccinated before the kids? 
Well, I mean, we, we have to wait and see. I think the, um, you know, the, the companies are now submitting their safety data on children to the FDA. So I haven't seen the safety data yet. I presume it, it looks, if it looks good, as good as it does in other, um, you know, other people and older adults, then I think it's, it's great, perfectly safe uh, in kids. I think the risk of getting the vaccine, we have to put it in perspective, the risk to a child of getting COVID is much, much greater than the risk of any vaccine, I would think. Um, and we'll have to see the data, but that's what I expect to see. Is this what you had said earlier about, you know, hesit- vaccine hesitancy? Is this why Dr. Fauci says we won't reach herd immunity uh, anytime soon? That's certainly, I, and I, uh, that's certainly true. And I think I agree with him. That's the biggest risk is that that we're going to get delayed or have to have these recurrent challenges with masking or ch- or chasing this this down with new boosters all the time or new vaccines because people right now are so hesitant to get vaccinated. Too many people are, too, are hesitant to get vaccinated. We could really quickly turn this around. I, I'm very, I want to be optimistic. I think if we can really push forward over the next month or two, we could be in an incredibly much better place. I, I want to see these kids be able to go back to school full time no masks, whatever's necessary, you know, whatever we need to do as a society to get get the, get the schools open, businesses open again, and get back to normal, we should do it. And that's going to require all of us, including folks who are hesitant to get their, get their vaccine. You know, um, I, I, forgive my ignorance on this, but um, we have variants out there. Right now we hear Pfizer and, you know, others saying that the vaccine looks like it'll be, you know, uh, it, you know, it'll be able to handle the current variants. But there is a concern that th- this virus will continue to mutate as virus do, d- viruses do and that there'll be variants that are more deadly. Can you maybe talk to us about that and, you know, wh- what happens, uh, you know, if we if these uh, current vaccines that we're getting now, you know, aren't successful in fighting that because, I was saying this before you came on the air when I was doing my rip from the headlines. When I was a kid, if you got head lice, you used that rid shampoo, you shampooed it and, it and it was gone. I never had it, but kids in my school did. That's why I know about it. As a mother, when my kids were in kindergarten and there was a head lice outbreak in the school, I went up to the uh, pharmacist at you know, Walgreens or CVS or Rite Aid and I said, um, hi, where do you keep rid? And she said that um, the lice had uh, built up an immunity against it <laughs> and you had to have them by hand go a place like hair angels or whatever we saw that with malaria too right that the mosquitoes grew a resistance uh, to the vaccine and they and the world health organization had to uh provide a different vaccine and create a different vaccine um how likely is that uh i know you don't have a crystal ball but in, in your medical expertise uh, with COVID 19 going forward when we look at how much how many times this is already uh you know mutated how many variants we already have well you know germs mutate uh viruses in particular is a uh, mutate a lot, uh, and coronaviruses mutate a lot as well, just like flu and some of the other viruses we talked about. So we expect them to mutate. That's part of the, part of what happens when these viruses make copies of themselves. They're sloppy and they make mistakes, and 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 they're going to get mutations. And so we expect that. I I, in in the case of viruses, it's going to be a lot easier for us to develop a new vaccine for COVID than it is to find a new treatment for resistant head lice. I guarantee you. Um, and we have the platforms, the technology, and understanding now to quickly adapt these vaccines for new versions of corona, or new mutants or new uh, variants of the coronavirus. That is something I have a lot of confidence we'll be able to do. I have much more. Our biggest risk is not uh, is not finding the vaccines that that work and developing 
Our biggest risk is that people won't, enough people won't get the vaccines that we have. Um, and that's why we're going to continue to need new ones, because the virus only mutates when it spreads. And if we could stop the spread, we could stop the mutations. So, and, and it's like a dog chasing its tail, right? It's like we can't reach herd immunity because people won't get the vaccines. Um, you know, people won't get the vaccines. It keeps spreading. So we can't reach herd immunity. So people understand if anybody, even if we get one person out there who is hesitant to go get a vaccine this next week or tomorrow or whatever, um, I think that's awesome. And, you know, uh, we've done our jobs for the day, so to speak. But, um, you know, w with herd immunity, does the, does the virus die out or is it less able to mutate uh, as many times or as quickly? This particular virus, once it doesn't have a person to infect, a host that's, that's uh, susceptible, it won't transmit, it'll stop. Um, but, you know, I think back to something you asked earlier, uh, I look, the, the, the world is a big place. We're never gonna get the entire world immune to coronavirus. There are new people born every day. Uh, there are people that for all sorts of reasons aren't gonna react as strongly to the vaccines as others, right? Uh, so there's always going to be people susceptible to coronaviruses like there are for flu. Um, but uh, what makes this much more difficult is that uh, because uh, some people, a significant number of them who get infected with this virus, get really, really sick and die. Uh, if, if this was just causing a head cold, we wouldn't be so concerned about it. Um, but we have a lot, you know, we have a significant number, millions of people in the world, over 580,000 Americans have died from this in the last year and in a few months. So, um, you know, that's the biggest issue. And I think we can address that. Even if we don't stop the transmission throughout the whole world, we can have a huge, huge impact on the, on the, the risk of death and hospitalization. And that's what's going to allow us to open up again. Um, that's what's going to allow us to, uh, to get back to normal. Even if we don't fully eradicate this, uh, this from the world, I think we have a great opportunity to get back to, uh, to a much more normal way of life. Normal. Everybody right? get the shot. <laughs> Doctor, thank you for being with us once again. This is Dr. Bob Bollinger, Raj and Kamla Gupta Professor of Infectious Diseases at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, holding joint appointments in international health at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and in Community Public Health at the JH School of Nursing. I also mentioned he's founding director of the Center for, Center for Clinical Global Health Education, the CCGHE, the center doing a lot of work on COVID. Check out their website. You could learn some things and maybe have some questions answered. If you haven't had them answered today, I hope you have. Go to main.ccghe.net and on Facebook, go to facebook.com forward slash ccghe. I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful weekend. Marky Mark is our executive producer. He is awesome. All of you are awesome. Our guests, our listeners, our viewers. Have a wonderful and happy Mother's Day. Moms, you rock. This is Brad Milkey of ABC News' Start Here podcast with your sports update. He's a Heisman Trophy runner-up. He's a national champion. Next stop, Jacksonville. Stay tuned for more. All right, we've got lucky caller number four, Marcus, on the line. If he answers this question, he wins a new car. Let's do this. Okay, for a new car, name the only actor to appear in... And now a message from our sponsor. With 24-7 support and quick and easy claims, Progressive protects what matters most. Progressive. Films all in the same year. Wait, sorry, I, I didn't hear that question. Three seconds, Marcus. Yeah, no, but there was an ad in the middle. He didn't answer. But I didn't hear anything. Oh, Marcus, you dropped it in the dirt. Progressive. There's never a bad time for great protection. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Coming off a one-win season, the Jacksonville Jaguars are expected to take Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence with the first pick of the NFL draft. But can he turn things around? The Jags have chosen three other QBs in the top ten, but have gotten little out of it, earning just one playoff appearance since 2008. This ABC Sports Update was brought to you by Progressive. Drivers who switch to Progressive can save an average of $668. Progressive Motorcycle presents Road Wisdom from the Motor. Half man, half motorcycle. Ride confidently in the direction of your dreams. Unless it's a bad dream. Then turn around. Go the other way. Progressive Motorcycle also presents basic policy starting at $79 a year. Progressive Motorcycle, for those who were born to ride. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy is not available in all states.